I'm going to go off script for a moment. Um, for the past 48 hours, I just, I feel so attacked. Um, and, and I'm sorry if you're like a visitor and, and you're not a Christian. And this is weird. This is going to be weird for you. And forgive me. But I was praying Friday morning. And uh, I wasn't going to tell you this. I was maybe going to mention in my sermon. But I just, I feel I feel like I'm going nuts. Um, I was praying, and I just had this weird, creepy thought pop into my head. And it's like either my overactive imagination or Satan, uh, and I can't shake it. And it's like driving a wedge in between me and God. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night last night. I, did, I pretty much played video games all day yesterday only because I didn't want to think uh, about anything else. Um, and I, I told Bryn about it. I mean, and a lot of times I'm spiritually, and I hate to say this as a pastor, but I'm spiritually just a kind of get-it-done-myself guy, which is not good. I'm not saying that to be an example. I'm saying that because that's who I am. And I know this is maybe like selfish and weird as you're holding communion, Um but I, I really, I need you, my church, to just bow your heads and, and pray for me. Um, and so will you take a minute and please do that for me, Lord. Um, I know the awesome things you want to accomplish through this church. And I also realize that you've given me the job to pastor and lead this church. And I need you every hour, Lord. Um, God, I don't want anything to drive a wedge between us. You came to die so that nothing needed to drive a wedge between us no sin no fear no power of Satan Lord I just pray that let this thought leave me and you'd fill me I pray you'd say yes to the prayers of this people I know how often you do Lord I need them this morning I need them always. Amen. As always, when we take communion, we remember what Jesus did for us. And it is an incredible gift. And uh, when you feel like you're at wit's end, um, Sometimes the body and the blood of Jesus is all you can really cling to. And so this morning I pray, I hope, that you not take this lightly. But you remember as you take this little piece of bread and this little cup of grape juice what it means. That the God of the universe came down to suffer through all the things that we suffer through to deal with all the thoughts, to deal with the temptations of Satan.
to deal with a moment where his father turned his back on him like he has nobody else in history. He did all of that so that you could be saved. And so will you take the bread and the cup and will you remember what Jesus did for you? Father, thank you for sending your son to die. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. I pray that just here as we sit before you, trusting your presence to be with us, even if we're struggling to feel it, I pray that you would remind us of what an amazing sacrifice you made. That you, Lord, our King, our Messiah, our God, would willingly die on a cross, face the worst temptation, the worst, the worst pain, the worst emotional distress, the worst spiritual suffering that the world has ever known so that we could live is absolutely incredible. We thank you for being willing to be beaten, to be willing to be tortured, to be willing to suffer and die so that we might be saved, so that we might have a relationship with you. Praise things in your name. Amen. Good morning again. Next week is a holiday. Uh, You may not know it. Uh, You may know one of them, but next Sunday is actually another holiday, uh, a liturgical holiday, uh, and that is uh, Epiphany. And it's a day when uh, traditionally the church has celebrated the coming of the Magi, uh, some people that we have talked about for the last four weeks, to worship the baby Jesus. And it's really uh, about, uh, in some ways, uh, Jesus being available to Gentiles, non-Jews. And uh, if you were to look up the word epiphany, you'd find four definitions. The first one you know pretty well. A moment of sudden revelation or insight. Like, hey, I had an epiphany. You've heard that before. Uh, number two would be what I just said to you. The manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles is represented by the Magi. Uh, number three would be the one I also just said. The festival commemorating the epiphany on January 6th. And the fourth definition, the one we're going to really focus on for the next two weeks, uh, because it goes right along with the Magi, and I figured four weeks for 12 verses was enough, and it was time to move on. Uh, number four would be a manifestation of a divine or supernatural being. And here's one thing that I'm becoming more and more convinced of is as I grow as a Christian, as I examine our church and, and where we've been and where we're headed, and that is this, that... Uh, Christian growth, discipleship, is not primarily educational. Uh, There is an educational aspect. There are some important things to learn if you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to understand God and live for Him more fully, then you need to to have some knowledge, and there's some really important things to kind of grasp. But uh, the education can only take you so far. And I look at my life, and I'm pretty educated, and... um, 
I spent seven years in higher education studying pastoral studies, basically. And there's a lot of Bible involved in that. There's a lot of how to study the Bible. There's a lot about God. And I can look back over my life and tell you that while those were really important just as far as understanding some things and keeping me grounded in my Christian faith, the greatest moments of growth, the things that I look back on as really important spiritual moments, have nothing to do with education, they have more to do with God's movement in my life. And for me, there's four of them that I jotted down. Uh, becoming a Christian at four years old. I mean, I'm listening to a tape of a sermon, and there was no pressure. There was nobody saying, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? There was an adult sermon, and at the end, he said, basically, you can have Jesus in your life if you want to. Here's how. And I said, hey, that's something I want. And that's not that's not like an educational thing. At four years old, I, I didn't understand, you know, like a lot about that, about... Uh, substitutionary atonement or about how uh, I'm a degenerate sinner or how God needs to offer his grace to me. None of that made sense at the time or for a long time after that. But yet there was something about that moment where God was really just interacting with me and saying, hey, give your life to me. Uh, at 17 years old, I was touched by the love of God uh, just in a way that I had never been touched by the love of God. And, and I... I confessed something to another human being in, in, in that moment, not thinking really spiritually at all, just thinking I need to do this to kind of be right and to fix this relationship. God just, just told me about how much of a sinner I was and awesome part, that was the hard part, but the awesome part, how much he loved me anyway and how amazing it was that he had died on a cross to save me from my sins. And it totally changed my life. And it wasn't any thing I didn't know before that. I mean, I understood at that point that Jesus had died for me and that he took away my sins. But God came and he interacted with me and it changed who I was uh, forever. Um, there's an incredible moment uh, with God, with uh, our youth group of this church in Sun River. And uh, a lot of times you get caught up in the emotion of camps. But I was the leader and generally we're like creating that emotion. And so you don't get nearly as caught up in it. Uh, but it actually didn't happen as we were singing to Jesus or anything like that. I was downstairs alone uh, in a room praying before we, we had the kids together, uh, before I was speaking to them. And God just... In a new way, a way that I didn't know he would ever touch me, just just touched me and, and again, uh, moved me forward in my relationship with him. And then uh, there was a moment with God in my upstairs uh, at, at our house down in Kaiser where, where the presence of God was so real. And I've told you this before, if you've gone to this church, that... That the presence of God was so real that, that I really thought when I opened my eyes and looked up that I was going to see Jesus. And uh, that moment ended, uh, much like my moment Friday that I mentioned just a little bit ago, uh, kind of ended with just powerful darkness coming over my life. And it was like a reaction by Satan to me trying to get close to God. But, but in that moment, God, the next day, uh, coming out of that and my closeness to him, he revealed some things to me about who I am and what I am to do for the rest of my life. And uh, I've understood from that moment forward that it's my job to help Christians uh, be actually Christians and to show people that, that really a relationship with Jesus isn't maybe what American churches sometimes talk about and that's just pray some prayer and, and then you're good you got forgiven but it's really about a life 
devoted to Jesus. And so I try to get that across just about every single week in my sermons. And I look forward to what God will do through me and through this church because I know that, that you guys will be a part of, of that expansion and, and me teaching that uh, to, to a greater audience as, as we move forward. And, and, and none of these moments were educational by nature. And, and sure, I loved my Life of Christ class and I, I, I had an okay time in my theology class, but none of those things changed my life the same that experiencing God and having Him move has changed my life. And I look at some of the greatest people who have ever lived. I'm not one of them, but but they share similar type deals. Uh, we talked about Moses in, in our series, Stories of Old, and where we examined the Old Testament characters that had great faith. And, and Moses is really kind of a regular guy, except he, he has power in Egypt. But after that, he's just like a, a sheep herder, a shepherd. He's just hanging out, and he's married, and he's living a normal life. And then God shows up in a burning bush. And then Moses becomes one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. And and then we look at at the Apostle Paul, a guy responsible for absolutely changing the world. He's one of the most influential people who have ever lived, uh, no matter whether you're a Christian or not. Then that's something that you have to recognize because he started uh, most of the churches that were the early churches and they have expanded to the point where we are here now and we are a church because of what Paul did in a lot of ways. And uh, we know that he was actually persecuting Christians. And then we read this in Acts 9, 1 through 5. Meanwhile, Saul was still breeding out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples that's christians he was breathing out murderous threats he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that's christianity whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to jerusalem as he neared damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him saul saul why do you persecute me who are you lord saul asked I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And Paul converts and he becomes a Christian. His life is totally changed. But but that's not all of his experiences. Uh, he talks some in, in the New Testament about about his education and his understanding of God. But but listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, 2-4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. He's talking about himself. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 18, this is what Paul says, and I know you sit today in a Baptist church, and if you're new, you probably couldn't tell that, but you do. And but and, and so, you know, this isn't one of those verses we read a lot, but uh, I'm okay with it. It says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And so, Paul has these spiritual moments where where the the God of heaven is is coming into him and causing him to pray in a language that's not his own language more than anybody else. And so he has these experiences with God that are incredible. You could look at non-biblical people and Charles Finney, very controversial guy. If you go look at him, you may say, well, did he really have a, a, an interaction with God? Because I don't know if I like this guy. And he would probably say some things that you don't like. But but despite that, like... 
people all over the world accepted Christ because of this guy's ministry. I mean, uh, it's said that he would walk by people and they would like start to like repent of their sins because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what we read in his own words. There was no fire and no light in the room. Nevertheless, it appeared to me as if it were perfectly light. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It did not occur to me, nor did it for some time afterward, that it was wholly a mental state. On the contrary, it seemed to me that I saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing, but looked at me in such a manner as to break me right down at his feet. I have always since regarded this as it as is most remarkable state of mind, for it seemed to me a reality that he stood before me and I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud with like a child and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterance. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears and yet I had no distinct impression that I touched him that I recollect. I must have continued in this state for a good while, but my mind was too much absorbed with the interview to recollect anything that I said. But I know as soon as my mind became calm enough to break off from the interview, I returned to the front office and found that that the fire that I had made of large wood was nearly burned out. Now, Charles Finney is more charismatic uh, than some of you would be comfortable with. not many of you, but some of you. And so uh, this is what you got to do. When you throw in somebody like Charles Finney, then you switch right over to Billy Graham. Uh, because nobody here will, will say, well, Billy Graham's just too spiritual. We're not one of those people, you know, because he's Billy Graham. Uh, and, and so listen to this. Uh, it was 3 a.m. July 13, 1949, and prayer had been going on for the last five hours in the Rainbow Room of the Westminster Hotel in Winona Lake, Indiana. Between 40 and 50 Youth for Christ leaders were present, including a young Billy Graham. Armin Geswin, the prayer leader, addressed the group. You know our brother Billy Graham is coming out to Los Angeles for a crusade this fall. Why don't we gather around this man and lay our hands on him and pray for him? Let's ask God for a fresh touch to anoint him for work. Cliff Barrows, a longtime friend and co-worker of Graham's, remember the night as if it were yesterday. We were on our faces before the Lord. Some of us were under the piano praying, Barrows told charisma the spirit of god moved in our hearts breaking us and revealing our pride john bolton said i believe god's telling me to billy graham i believe god's telling me that you're going to preach in the great stadiums of every capital city of the world the gospel of our crucified savior it sounds like a charismatic comment right i mean usually i run when somebody walks up and says god is telling me i'm like whoa you're one of those uh but this is billy graham right here and and listen to this billy graham himself said when i come to my invitation inviting people to know christ i sense god come on me and i feel his power at that invitation that's peculiar having an encounter with god is no easy task for most it is something that we this is me now we cannot enforce we cannot say god i need right now to have an encounter with you but i believe that we can seek encounters with God. And I think that as we look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we see we see that prayer is really important in that, but specifically a, a kind of prayer may be important to that. And that is a, a type of prayer that's simply to wait on God. Simply to, to sit before God and wait. And that is what I want to examine this morning with you. Uh, just the idea of saying, God, I need you, I want you, you need to fill me up, 
I'm, I'm just stopped in my relationship with you. It's not moving forward. I don't know where to go from here. I don't have the answers. I need you to offer me yourself. Listen to Psalm 41. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Isaiah 40:31 in the ESV, but they who wait for the for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And Isaiah 64:4 from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Today I want to look at Psalm 130, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still learning what it means to wait on God. Uh, I, 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 I like to have answers when I get up in front of you. Today I don't have the answer. I'm trying to examine this. I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know, you like, how long do I just sit here? And uh, But I do think that Psalm 130 begins to show us just kind of what it looks like to wait on God and to wait on Him to move in your life. And uh, before I read Psalm 130, you can turn there, you can go there on your phone. Uh, before I read it, there's a couple of things that you need to know uh, about this psalm that will help us understand really uh, more about what it looks like to wait on God. And that is the first thing is that it's called a song of ascent. Uh, psalms 120 to 134 actually are songs of ascent. And believed that these were the psalms, these are some of the psalms anyway, that people would say, that people would talk about, that people would sing as they were on their way to Jerusalem for the festivals. And so as they're going, they are actually rising geographically to get to Jerusalem. And so they are ascending towards Jerusalem. But it also might be uh, true that they are ascending in a different way, and that is that they are ascending towards the presence of God. And if you know about the Jewish faith, uh, before Jesus came, what we see is that the temple housed God. And so when you were moving towards the temple in a very literal, real way, you were moving towards the presence of God. And so between Psalm 120 and 134, we see in, in some way these prayers, these songs that people would sing that they'd offer to God as they were moving towards an interaction with the God of the universe. The other part that's really important is that these uh, psalms are, are psalms, uh, are penitential psalms, and that's what the early church called them. That's not biblical, but the early church said these are penitential psalms, and and so they're they're offering their penitence. Or pen, give me the word. Thank you. Uh, you got it. And and, and so uh, these are psalms where they are confessing to God and, and seeking just reconciliation with him. And uh, and it may be connected to Nehemiah 9 or Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11. And you can read those later on your own time. But but the idea is that these are songs uh, of confession to God. And, and we'll see in this that there's much confession. We don't know the exact situation for Psalm 130. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But, but sometimes we know exactly from history and from other parts of the Bible exactly what's going on when the psalmists write these chapters of Scripture. 
But here we don't know and we can only guess that either the person writing or the nation as a whole is really turned, has really turned their back on God. And, and, and so they are in a place where they need God to come and offer them forgiveness. Now, the, the interesting part for us is that we know that we need not wait on that. Jesus came. We just talked about it. He died on a cross so that we can say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. I give my life to you and our sins are forgiven forevermore. That's a, it's as simple as that. But for the Jewish people, it was a different deal. I mean, they had to go to the temple. They had to offer these sacrifices. Like It sounds like from this passage that they then were waiting on God to do something to take away the punishment. Because their punishment could be nationalistic where God said, hey, you've done wrong. And so now I'm going to make it so that you go in exile. I'm going to make it so that there's famine. I'm going to make it so that there's sickness in your land. And so they would pray. They'd sacrifice. They'd say, God, we need your forgiveness. And then they would wait. For God to offer that forgiveness. For us it teaches much about waiting. I want to to read you the whole thing first. And then we'll just break it down into a little smaller segments. Here's Psalm 130, 1 through 8. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I'm going to pray one more time before we look at this passage of Scripture. Lord, I just pray that you'd come now and that you would meet with us. I pray this would be one of those spiritual moments that people could look back on. When we studied this passage of Scripture and talked about just being before you and listening for your voice and seeking you in a new and profound way, God. And it's not my words that's going to get that job done. It's your presence here the lives of people. And so I pray that you would show up now in your name. Amen. It begins by saying, out of the depths, I cry to you. Now, this is a pretty normal figure of speech. The idea of being in really deep water and kind of the idea of drowning, of sinking is a, is a normal expression of, a, of an intense need for the Jewish people. Uh, deep waters are a common figure of speech for distress or for danger. And, and so we see here that the psalmist is speaking from a place of really just uh, despair. He, he needs God and he recognizes his need for God. And if you've ever had a, a bad experience with water, then you know what this is like. Uh, one year, me and my family were in Hawaii. We were uh, on the island of Maui and we were going out snorkeling, but it was a really bad time to be going snorkeling. In fact, uh, at the time we were going out, all of the locals were going out to surf because the surf was so big and people were like genuinely excited. And so we tried snorkeling in one place and it was a disaster. I mean, my sister and my stepmom are just getting hit by wave after wave, literally not getting out beyond the rocks. And, And so we left there and then me and my dad went and uh, we bodyboarded with uh, the locals. Very dangerous. Would not have done it again. Uh, we survived, thankfully, but I-, I spent most of that time just getting hit by giant waves. And so then we thought, and this is sometimes true in Hawaii, if we go to the other end of the island, then the surf will be better and we'll be able to snorkel over there. And so we drove down and 
And we went out snorkeling, and the, and the surf was much better, except the pull, because of what was going on at the other end of the island, was pretty terrible. And so we get out pretty far, and you can't see anything, because the surf is making everything just a muddy mess. And we start to swim back. And, and I remember, I thought that my sister was struggling to keep going. She's younger than me. And so I am like trying to pull my sister, and I'm not a great swimmer anyway, and and I'm trying to pull her because I think she's going to die, and I'm trying to like swim one-armed, and and I am like dying in my mind. I mean, I am like, if you would ask me, are you about to die, I probably would have said yes. I'm breathing heavy. (gasps) And I finally get me and my sister to shore, and and she's like, why are you pulling me? I was swimming just fine. And I'm like laying there like, thank you, God, I lived. Uh, And she's totally fine. But, But the feeling, I think, if you've ever experienced the idea like I might drown, then you know kind of this desperate feeling uh, that the psalmist is describing here. And so I think the first thing that we really see in this passage is that if we're going to seek God, then there needs to be some type of recognition that we have a desperate need for God. We we must not come before God saying like, hey, I, I would really like it if you helped me, but I don't really need you. And if you're like me, if you come from kind of the Christian background that I come from, which is a good one, but just theologically kind of like, you know, pull up your bootstraps and get the job done and really uh, just make it happen. And you kind of come from that background, not just spiritually, but just kind of culturally, then, then you know that it's difficult to get to this point sometimes. It's really easy for me to be like, God, we have a great plan in place. I'm really going to do a good job. But if you want to show up, that might help, too. I mean, you could come along and it probably make it a little better, but we got a good thing planned, you know, and I got a good plan in place and we're going to take care of this. And here's my five year plan. And if you want to show up and do something, that's great. But don't get in the way of the plan because it's way better than anything you're probably going to do. Except we don't say that last part. We just leave that out. Right. But in our minds, that's the way we think. And this psalmist comes before God and he's like, look, there's nowhere else to go. I'm drowning. I absolutely need you to come in here and do something about this. And my hope is that you just kind of know somewhere inside of you, if you're a Christian, that that we're desperate for God. I mean, like if you are thinking like just I could just list a million things here, but like, hey, I'd really like to remove this sin from my life. I mean, I struggle with it and I want it to go away. And you kind of come to God and you're like, hey, please help me with that. But you're like, here's really the plan. I mean, really the plan is that I'll get accountability and I'll avoid that situation. And then then you're not coming to God correctly if you really are seeking him. Now, I'm not saying having a plan is bad. Don't hear me wrong. I'm simply saying that we need to recognize that our best plans are not going to work. I mean, you say like, I'm I'm really just, I'm stale in my relationship with God. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing a little louder at church. And if God wants to come along and help, that's great. But I'll really, I'll work my way out of this. I'll read the Bible more. Then that's not like desperately saying to God, hey, I need you. Or you have a bad relationship and, and you're like, I need this relationship fixed. It's a struggle. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a family thing. And, and you kind of come before God like, hey, God, I'd like your help. you know. But really, I mean, the thing he says here is like we need to like desperately come before God and realize that as Christians, even as Christians, apart from the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives, we're not going to accomplish very much despite our greatest efforts. 
And I think that when we come to realize that is when we really start to be able to seek the presence of God in a new way. And here's the second thing. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The psalmist desperately desires for God to be attentive to him. And here's the really key part. He seems to expect that God will. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here. But I want you to think about this for just one second. When you pray, do you expect God to give you an answer? I mean, when you pray, do you just do it because you're supposed to? Or do you really think, like, God's going to interact with me on this? I mean, perhaps he'll say no, but, but I really think he's going to do the most merciful and good thing. And he's really he's going to come in here and he's going to respond to this prayer. And so do you pray and think in a way that would cause you to look at God and be like, Hey, God. I need you to listen to this, and I expect you to. And I think, just kind of, maybe, that most of the time when you pray, you pray and you think like, I got to do this. It's like on the checklist. Like, I got to get it done. It needs to happen. But you don't really, like if you really were to stop, you're just kind of talking. You're not really expecting for the mercy of God to come. And so I think the second part of this kind of waiting on God deal is to recognize that God wants to interact with you. That God will respond to your prayers. That God does care about you. That God does offer mercy for every situation in your life. He uses the word listen in this passage, but he also uses the word be attentive. I think sometimes in certain kind of spiritual backgrounds and theological mindsets, we kind of go, well, God listens, yeah. But he's not really attentive. He's not really paying attention to me. He hears everything. I mean, he hears when I talk at home, but when I pray, it's no different. I mean, when I yell at my wife, sure, God hears that, and he also hears my prayers, but he doesn't really pay attention. And I think that one of the biggest kind of keys and kind of just an interaction with God is moving from a place where you think God listens to you to moving to a place where you expect God to pay attention you i mean how many times have you had a conversation where you have said i'm listening but you're not paying attention to somebody i mean my wife would be the first to tell you that i am a great husband but one of the 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 most difficult things for her is that i always say i'm listening hey you're not listening to me i'm listening not paying attention to anything you're saying and I won't remember it in two seconds but I heard every single word of it and that is how we picture God we picture God like Chad playing a video game like yeah he's hearing everything but he's really got a lot going on he's distracted he's not paying attention to me he's not going to do anything because of this and this psalmist seems to be saying look God I don't just need you to listen I need you to focus on me I need you to hear me I need you to pay attention to me And then we read this, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Now here's the thing that I just, this is awesome. If God wasn't forgiving, then nobody could stand before him. The truth is, if God wasn't forgiving, then we would all be dead. If God wasn't forgiving, then we would all be headed towards hell. If God wasn't forgiving, then we wouldn't have a right to pray. 
If God wasn't forgiving, then our prayers wouldn't matter because God wouldn't be listening to them because we all sin and we all do things that drive wedges in between us and him. And this psalmist is looking at God and he's saying, hey, implied answer, no. If, if, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could send nobody? Nobody could stand before you. And this is crazy because this psalmist knew nothing of Jesus, knew nothing of the communion that we just took. But he says, with you there is forgiveness so that we can reverence you, so that we can fear you, so that we can worship you, so that we can honor you. That's a statement of purpose. It doesn't just mean like it's a byproduct, like sure you offer us forgiveness and so now you know we might worship you if we choose to. What the psalmist is saying is that God gives us forgiveness so that we can worship him. This is the gospel. I mean, right here in Psalm 130, verse 3, before anybody had ever heard of Jesus, before anybody really understood the plan of God to reconcile a dying world to himself, what we read is that God forgives so that he might have our worship. And we know the story better. We know that Jesus came, who was God in human form, in order that he might live a sinless, perfect, flawless life. And that one day he might die on a cross. Why did he die on that cross? In order that God could forgive you. See, God is holy and righteous and just. And he cannot overlook sin. And so instead of punishing you for your sins, not allowing you to stand before him, he said, I will send Jesus down there to die a perfect sacrifice so that he can be the punishment for your sins. Jesus died to be the punishment for your sins so that God could forgive forevermore. Before Jesus, God could only overlook sins for so long. He could look down at the animal sacrifices they made and their prayers and say, yeah, you're kind of forgiven for a time, but for eternity I cannot be with you, I cannot forgive you because I am too just and you deserve worse. But Jesus died for the worst that we deserve so that we might stand before God. And God did not just do that. So that you could go on living a regular life. He did that so that you might worship him. And I stand before you and say that there's two options when you look at the cross. You can either look at it and not worship or you can look at it and worship. But there is only one good and right response and that is to worship God. Some of you, I don't know, you may not know Jesus, you may have rejected it. Maybe this is the first time you heard a story that there was a guy who came from heaven, who was God in human form, that died on a cross. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of weird, and, and that's fine if you think it's weird, but this is what I need you to hear. And that is there is only one good and right response to the God of the universe offering his life for yours. And that is for you to say, Jesus, I give you all of me. I will spend my life worshiping you. Whether Christian or non-Christian, too often times there's just this thought like I should worship God because he's like God. But, but what this says is that we should worship God because with God there is forgiveness. I tell you, if you ever need to be brought back to a place of worship, if ever you're like, man, I just I don't really feel like worshiping God or, you know, it feels like uh, I just don't want to worship today. Well... Stop thinking about your circumstances or your feelings. Start thinking about the fact that with God, there is forgiveness. That's incredible. I mean, there shouldn't be. 
I mean, I sin against God every single day of my life. And yet every single time with him, there is forgiveness. That's incredible. So this morning, before I move on to the next point, I just want you, at the end I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you, really, if you will make a decision to worship God. Because with Him there is forgiveness. It's the only right, the only true, the only proper response to the God of the universe offering His life for you is to worship. But you must make a decision to do just that. He says, next, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Now, again, we don't have to wait for forgiveness. The Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, this isn't a quote, but if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we are forgiven. We just need to repent. We just need to turn from our sins and, and say, Jesus, I do believe that, and so I give you my life. I want to spend my life worshiping you. And all of our sins will be removed from our lives, and we no longer need to wait. I mean, to get forgiven and to be directed towards heaven, to be on a path towards heaven, takes a matter of seconds in your heart, maybe milliseconds in, in your heart. But that doesn't dismiss the idea of waiting for God to move, for God to do something great, within us and so we look at this and it kind of gives us a blueprint of what waiting is and here's the really sad difficult part we don't exactly know what the waiting is here this is the hard part we don't know if this psalmist just sits there just saying god i'm going to stand here forever until you do something about this problem that we're having we don't know if he goes about his business but he's actively seeking god we don't know if he opens a bible up and just starts reading it until god gives him an answer we don't know exactly what the waiting looks like and i will get back to you as soon as i have an answer to that question it's something that i'm exploring uh that i don't really understand i mean when god says uh when the bible tells us that god acts for those who wait that's a big deal but it's difficult to know exactly what the waiting looks like and as pastor i like to have all the answers you already knew that but but i don't here i don't know exactly what it looks like but if you look at what surrounds the word wait in these verses then you start to see some aspects of the waiting process. The first part that we need to understand is that it says with his whole being. That's really key, with my whole being. And again, I don't know what exactly that means, like all of me is waiting on God, but I I I, I get the impression that it's not half hearted. If I could if I could make that an antonym, I would say half hearted would be the antonym. This guy is saying, I don't wait on you half heartedly, I wait on you wholeheartedly i think that it means that at times anyway we need to put aside our facebook posts we need to put aside our our tv watching we need to put aside all of the distractions and and we need to not be like hey god i'm kind of waiting for you but i'm going to go do something else too for a time anyway i think that it means we just need to sit before god and say here all of me is just waiting for you all of me is waiting for you now the other thing that it says here is more than watchmen wait for the morning. 
This shows an intensity. The idea is that the watchmen would sit on top of the city gates and they would look out and they were making sure that nobody came and attacked the city. And they would sit up there and they'd have the nighttime shift. And so uh, probably if you're not in a time of war and you're just hanging out, you're thinking, I really, really, really wish it was morning time right now. I mean, have you ever like been waiting for somebody when it's really late and all you want to do is go to sleep? There's like no greater waiting process than that. Like, would they just show up because I need to leave or or I go to sleep? Excuse me. Would they leave so I can go to sleep or whatever it might be when you're really, really tired and you're waiting for something to happen until you can go to sleep? It's pretty intense waiting. Some of you, that will happen this coming week as you wait for the ball to drop and you'll be like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just, I want to see the ball drop so bad. I want to watch all those other people have fun while I sit on my couch. I hate New Year's Eve. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a little bias there. Worst day of the year. Uh, it goes New Year's Eve and then my birthday in my mind. Those are the two days that I could do without. Did you see my Facebook post, any of you? Uh, my birthday is now officially a holiday. It's the more boring and dull day. Um, Literally, the state of Oregon voted that in last week. That was a side note, but if you know what I mean about waiting for something to get there, then this is the type of intensity that he's talking about. And so he's saying, look, my whole being waits for God. And I wait more than somebody who's waiting to be able to go to sleep until a shift flips over. And then the other really key part here is that he says, in your word, I put my hope. It's a really, really important kind of deal. This is a, a big deal because, and this is, let me just give you a little greater picture of what I experienced on Friday and, and kind of what I feel like I'm still dealing with as I stand before you and talk. And that is, I, I was praying and it was spiritual and, and this has happened a couple times. I just explained one of them to you. And, and, and as I'm seeking God in His presence and I'm waiting upon Him and, and hoping that He will just come and stir something new in me, then all of a sudden... I just had this horrible thought, as I said. And this thought, and this is the key, this is the key. It was evil. And it was like a thought, like, go do something super evil. Weird, sick, demented, bad, unloving. But it was right in this moment where, like, I'm seeking God and I had sensed God's pre- presence. And it really messes with your head. Because I'm like... Okay, that doesn't sound like God. I don't want that to be God. I don't think that's God. But now it's there. If you've ever had a thought like you don't want, and it gets in you, and then you think about it, and you're like, oh, man. And then, you, and then there's this wrestling with me. Like, well, that doesn't sound like something God would say, but it's not so dissimilar to something I can see him saying before. Um, what do I do with that? And in the last 48 hours, the only thing I've been able to do with it is to check it against the Word of God. That's it. And here's, here's a news flash I, I, that I really believe, and I, uh, this wasn't part of the sermon planning, this, just, this is my experiences. I can't point to this in Scripture, but if you were actively seeking God's movement in your life for an answer, for more power to change the world for Him, for a solution to a problem, if you were actively seeking that, then the dark forces that genuinely exist in this world are going to have a problem with it. And they're going to come in, and they're going to try to confuse it, and they're going to try to stymie it, and they're going to try to do something about it, because they don't want you to have the power of God. And the only way 
the only way that we can stay grounded. And, and there's been stories, right? And 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 as as I've been dealing with this, just thinking and this difficulty, and I I think of stories like where people are like, well, I think God is telling me to divorce my spouse. Pretty sure God's not going to say that because He already said divorce is bad, right? I mean, and, and sometimes. If you're actively seeking God, this is I think that Satan and his minions are going to come and they're going to do whatever they can so that you, it, it gets confused in your head. Maybe it wasn't really God speaking to me and how do I know the difference and, and, and what does it look like to have the power of God and maybe I maybe it's not going to work and I just need to get out of this. I don't want to think about it. Let's just go play video games so I don't have to think about God anymore and, and what he might or might not be saying to me. And the only way to guard against that to go back to the word of God and see if what you have heard from the Lord or what you think you might have heard from the Lord or what Satan has tried to put in your head is from him. And I'll tell you this, if God tells you to do something that he has told you not to do in scripture, then you can bet that it wasn't God, but it was something fighting against your interaction with God. This is key. Because I hear it a lot, like, I mean, a couple things that, that, that people say. Like, well, God told me, and like I said, and then they do something that's really wrong. Like, well, God didn't tell you to do that. Like, God didn't tell anybody to shoot a doctor that does abortions. I mean, that, that doesn't happen, right? That's Satan's work. And, and that, the people who have done that in the history of our country, they need to go back and they need to, they need to check Scripture because they would have found that that's not real. And then the other thing I hear a lot is like, well, I'm, I'm not convicted about something. And, and so people use that and they can go hand in hand like, well, I think God told me and I don't really feel conviction. There's nothing about like feeling conviction in all of scripture. I mean, that doesn't, that's not like a thing. That's something we made up at some point. Like, I, have you ever heard somebody say this? I don't feel convicted about it. Well, I don't care if you're, con- you are convicted in the eyes of God because he's already told you that you're not supposed to do it or you're supposed to do it. I mean, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you know from Scripture. And so as you sit, if you're going to do this, if you're going to wait on God, I wasn't going to say this, but now I believe it with my heart. God, Satan is going to come and he's going to fight this. And, and the demons are going to fight this because they don't want you to go to a deeper level with God. They're, I think that the dark forces of the world are so happy with us just getting a spiritual education and never having interactions with God. I think Satan is really helping us become more educated in some ways at the expense, maybe not helping us, but very okay with us being educated in our Christian faith without actually moving forward in our Christian faith. We've exchanged far too often knowledge for depth in our relationship with Christ. But when you get in front of God and you say, I'm waiting for you because I want to go deeper with you. I want something greater. I want something better. I know that this is not it. I know that people don't fall down in front of me and start repenting. I want something bigger and better than this. I want all that you have to offer. Then Satan will come and the only way you have to check against it is the word of God as he has told it to us in the Bible. Here's the other thing, just to, to kind of give you what I know about this word wait, uh, just a little bit. The word wait in our passage is also used in, in Psalm 40, verse 1, and it has the slant of hope to it. The word in verse 6 refers to hoping or waiting as well, and it, it might have the slight nuance of like perseverance on God. Uh, biblically, to hope, just so you know, is not like hoping that, a, that you'll make a, a basketball shot, hoping that the Cowboys will win today. Please, God. Uh, 
<laughs> For real. That was a real prayer, I think. Uh, it's, it's confident expectancy. It's, it's saying, God, I, I'm trusting you to do this. And so you see it in the New Testament where you're like, it says to hope in God. You place your hope in God. And that's not like, hey, hope, 50-50 chance, I hope I win the lottery. That's like saying, I trust in God. And so here's the other part about it. Uh, the word waiting was actually used for ambush. And so as we wait on God, and I, like I said, I don't know everything that waiting looks like. I kind of get a, a small picture of it here. But as we wait on God, it isn't like just sitting back and doing nothing. And sometimes that's how we think of waiting. Like, well, I'm going to wait on God and I'm not going to do anything in, until he shows up. It's not that. It's something more active than that. The idea of ambushing, of uh, of saying, God, I'm coming for you. I, I'm looking for you. I'm seeking you. And I don't know, again, if that's sitting alone with him and just sitting there and, and, and reading the word of God or, or just sitting and praying and hoping and thinking or whatever, or if it's going about and saying, God, I'm going to do my best until you say something to me. I'm not sure, but I, but I know that it's something that's active and, and it's not just saying, God, show up. I'm going to go about my business, but saying, God, I'm seeking you in this thing. Psalm 56, 6 uses the same word. It says, they conspire, they lurk. And that's the same word. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. And so, uh, lurk after God. The word uh, means also to twist or to stretch, or it might have its origin in that. And so, there's an idea of tension or enduring or waiting. Jeremiah 8:15. we hoped for peace but no good has come for a time of healing, but there was only terror. The word hoped there is the same. And so you see this tension between an expectation that God will do something, but the fact that God maybe hasn't done anything yet. And, and so what we see here is something like this. Uh, I think this word does us a little better for understanding, and that would be the word await. Uh, and I don't know why in English that uh, feels more nuanced. It seems like something active, and it's maybe because we don't use it very much. But waiting just kind of means, eh, I hope somebody will show up. I'm waiting for somebody to come, you know, whatever that is. But, but await, I await something really big. I await the coming of a king. I await... The day when I can be married for some of you, I await something really exciting. It's active. It's hopeful. It's tense because we want something, but we have not received it yet. Passage ends with something also very important. Is we trust the, the word of God. We also must trust what he says last. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. God loves you. The word for love there is hesed. It's the most beautiful word in all the Bible because it means everything good. Uh, the Hebrew language has like ten words more than that, but not very many words. And, and so this word right here, hesed, it means redemption. It means grace. It means mercy. It means love. It means unfailing love. It means covenantial love. It means goodness means just about everything good and so at the end of this this psalmist doesn't like he's not like hey i hope god acts but he, but he's like i think god will act i think god will come to me i think god will interact with me i think he'll give me the answer i think he'll give me the power i think he'll fix i think he'll heal why because he loves me he loves me deeply he loves me desperately 
And he uses the word full redemption, and it means abundantly with him is redemption. The idea is that God wants to and has the power to do what you have asked him to do. As long as it is in line with his will. As long as it lines up with the word of God. And, and, and so we see here that he doesn't just remember God's love, but he remembers God's power and his ability and his willingness to help us and interact with us. And I tell you this, if you're, if you're saying things like, God, I want you to, to give me more of yourself. If I want you, to, I want you to, to help make this relationship more godly, I want to remove this sin. And then you sit before God and wait. Then you must remember that he loves you and he wants it for you too. And that he has the power to help you in that situation. Hosea 12.6 says, But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. We need God to move in our lives. I've mentioned things, difficult decisions, addictions. We may need a new power. Like if you're thinking, I'd like to see this person come to salvation. Or, or you're thinking, like I'd like to overcome this sin. Or you are moving forward. You want to move forward in your Christian relationship. Then you need the power of God. So let me just iterate what this psalm says. It says that you need to recognize your utter need for God. It says that you should desire and expect an answer from God says that you need to remember that, that with God there is forgiveness and that is your only hope. It says that you need to actively and passionately wait for God. It says that we need to trust God. That we need to do it wholeheartedly. That we need to remember His Word. And then it says that we must remember that God loves us and is capable and willing to help us. Luke six twelve through 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Jesus was making one of the biggest decisions of his ministry. Who are going to be the core 12? There was lots of people following him. Who are going to be just the 12 that I have the greatest impact on, who I interact with the most? And he spends the whole night in prayer. And we can't know exactly what those prayers were like. We can't know exactly what Jesus said, what he experienced. But if I had to guess, I would think it looked something like that, remembering the love of God, remembering that God wanted to interact with him, waiting on God to give him an answer, expecting God to give him an answer, recognizing that he needed the power of his Father if he was going to do the right thing. So here's what I ask for you. This is your homework assignment. I don't know exactly what waiting looks like. And I, to be honest, I don't wish my last 48 hours and the thoughts and the struggles that I've just had for you. And, and so I'm not going to say, and this is what I was going to say, was just go sit before God, kind of go through this process, pray this psalm, and then just sit there. But here's what I really encourage for you. Get a Bible. Say, God, I need your power. I need something. And just sit before God. Go through this psalm. Recognize the love of God. Recognize the forgiveness of God. And then sit there and say, God, speak to my heart. I'm going to read your word. And I know it's all, it's all you speaking to me, but I really need you to say something really special to me, really powerful to me. And, and here's what I think. I think that, well, I think that you'll move forward in your relationship with God if you just do that. I think that that it will change you. That if you just say, God, look, I'm not just going to kind of read a few chapters and get it out of the way. But I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to read 
until you interact with me, until you come and you meet with me and you remind me of your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and how good you are and, and you teach me what I need to do next and you really just come in a new and powerful way, I believe it will change, it will change your life. Some of you aren't Christians and, and you, may, you may say, well, that's, I'm not going to do that, but, but just give me a chance. Just give it a chance. Just go and say, God, I don't know anything about this. I don't know what you want me to read. I, don't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I came to church Sunday because I need something, and, and maybe you have that to offer me, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm not sure about your love or your forgiveness or any of that stuff, but I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to read your word, and, and maybe you'll say something. But just give that a chance. If you're a Christian, I, I just, just do it, because I think that God will do really unique and powerful things in you. Will you bow your heads with me? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you uh, to raise your hands uh, in just a second. This is not something we, we traditionally do in this church. Um, the band can come forward as I do this. And, uh, but what I'm going to do is, is I'm just going to ask you this question. I'm trusting God to move in this, this congregation this morning. And, and so I'm going to ask two questions. And, uh, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up. Um, I'm not going to promise that nobody's looking, but uh, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up. And, and the first question is this. And we read that God is a God of forgiveness so that he might be worshipped. And um, do you sit right now before God? I think that there might be people here. Maybe you've been here a lot. Maybe you've been part of church. but But really... You've never made a decision to, like, worship God. Or maybe you haven't made a decision to worship God for a long time, and, and you still know about that forgiveness, but you really don't care. And you haven't cared. And, and today, I'm just if, if you're a person who, who wants to make a decision to look at the forgiveness of Jesus and to, to begin again or to begin for the first time to worship Him, will you, just, will you just put your hand in the air so that I can pray for you? And then the other question I want to ask you, it's, it's beautiful to see those hands. And the other question that I want to ask you is, is if you're a person who just feels stale in your relationship with God, um, not moving forward, maybe you're struggling with thoughts that you don't want. Uh, maybe you have, you just have drifted from God. Um, Maybe you don't even, you just said, well, I'm not going to raise my hand and say that I want to worship God, but man, that sounds nice, and, but I don't know what that looks like. Uh, if you kind of fall into that category of a person who just right now knows that you need to move forward in your relationship with God, but you, you've just felt stuck, will you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? And will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for these people who have raised their hands this morning. Lord, I know that you don't want us to just come to church and, and not be changed. And these people are saying right now to you, God, that something is not right. That they don't that they're not where they want to be with you, Lord. That they are um they haven't been worshiping you. They haven't been living their lives for you. Or they're just stuck. And it's like, man, when I signed up for this Christianity thing, it seemed like more should happen. Like it would be more joyful and more powerful. And I pray for these, these two groups of people who have raised their hands this morning.
I just pray that your spirit would come upon them in a new and powerful way, Lord. God, the truth is, I mean, the truth is, Lord, we can, we can want it so much. But, Lord, we need your help. And that's why we have... That's why we need to wait for you, God. I mean, that's, that's why we need, to, uh, we need to have your presence flow in us in a new and powerful way, God. It's because we cannot do this on our own, Lord. And so right now, the lives of people that are in front of me, God, that, that just are seeking to worship you again or feel stale. And there's nothing wrong, there's nothing bad, but they feel stale. I pray that you come that you'd come, Lord, and you'd fill them up and you'd take them to a new place in their relationship with you and you'd draw them back to the heart of worship, God, and you'd fill them with a new power and your spirit would flow through them, God, and they would be drawn close to you in ways that maybe they've never been drawn close to you, Lord. And, and God, for just a minute, it wouldn't be about what they know, but they'd be about you coming into their lives and changing them and drawing them forward. And they would look back to this morning when they put their hands up, not even knowing fully why. And they would look back, God, and understand that you changed them this morning. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We cannot do this by ourselves, God. We need you. And we pray that you'd come, Lord. We pray that you'd come to this church. You would ignite a fire in us for your glory and your fame because you are a God of forgiveness. I pray these things in your name. Amen.
band keeps strumming uh, while God has our attention, I'm just going to ask for a few moments if we would bow before the Lord and just wait on Him as a, as a congregation. Maybe you have something in your life that you need just to, just to seek God for. Maybe you want to seek God for our church and uh, where we're headed. Um, Maybe you need somebody to pray for you, and, and so I'm going to sit right here, and you can walk right down here, something we also don't do in our church, but uh, I think I sought the Lord enough this week to listen to His Spirit. And uh, So as the Lord has our attention uh, right now, I just pray that you just take a few moments. We won't, we won't wait as long as, as maybe we should. Um, but just just wait, and if you need prayer from me, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit right on the step. You can come down here. I'm not uh, Jordan will shut the microphone off, so uh, we should, nobody has to hear what we're what we're praying. But uh, but you can come down here, and you prayed for me this morning. I'll pray for you.